This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 496, a conversation with Mike Martz. This is the Comic Shenanigans podcast, episode 496. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is our conversation with Mike Martz. Mike Martz is currently the editor-in-chief of Aftershock Comics. He's also been the editor of, if you've read a comic, basically, in the last 20 years, you've probably read something that Mike has edited. Uh, He has a long and storied career, uh, both at Marvel and at DC, working on X titles, working on Batman titles. Uh, He's done it all, and now he's working for Aftershock Comics and really putting together some amazing books over there, like uh, Shipwrecked. Sorry, Shipwreck, I should say. Um, Animosity, Rough Riders, Replica, and a ton of other exciting new titles that are coming out as well. Uh, so before we jump into the conversation with Mike, uh, first just want to do a little bit of housekeeping. You can always email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, next episode will be our conversation with, with the uh, well, I guess artist uh, J.K. Woodward, who's currently working on um, the, um, now I'm going to say it wrong, Mirror Broken series, uh, Star Trek Next Generation, uh, which is a fantastic series. He also was the illustrator, uh, well, first of all, he's done Fallen Angel uh, with Peter David back in the, I guess, mid-2000s. He's also done some great work on um, uh, Star Trek, uh, oh my god, now I'm forgetting the name of it. Oh, anyways, he's he's done a, a variety of different Star Trek products uh, projects, and he's just an amazing illustrator. So he'll be on our next episode, episode four ninety eight, and then it's on to episode five hundred. And then uh, I have to figure out what the hell to do after five hundred. Uh, anyways, without further ado, though, let's jump right into this really enjoyable conversation with Mike Martz, who at some point we're hoping to have back on the show because it was just a lot of fun being able to talk to him about the projects he's worked on, and uh, he's done so much that honestly, I feel like we could go through his entire kind of uh, resume and and spend hours uh, talking about some of the amazing amazing projects he's worked on. Uh, highlight for me was being able to talk to him about the Exiles comic. Um, I, it was such a huge thing for me. I, when I was younger, I loved that comic. I was in on the ground floor. I liked Blink because I was kind of that right age group to kind of really like her in Astonishing X-Men, like most people. But not everyone actually picked up her miniseries and definitely not everyone picked up Exiles. Uh, but I was just, and I was just blown away by Exiles. So uh, I am very thankful uh, for Mike for being the one to kind of um, really spearhead that idea and, and kind of push it through into existence. So uh, without further ado, let's jump right into my conversation with Mike Martz. Mike, welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Now, I've wanted to have you on actually for a while. I'm really enjoying the output from Aftershock Comics, and so I want to kind of get a sense of, first of all, what brought you to Aftershock? I mean, if you've been reading comics from the Big Two in the last 20 years, you've read something that you've edited. So what led you away from the Big Two? (laughs) You know, I, I, I get asked that question uh, uh, every now and then, and I think that I spent you know about eleven years of my career at Marvel and probably eight or nine years at DC. Um, both of them extremely great learning experiences, and you know, working at those two companies was really you know a big reason of why I wanted to get into comics. Uh, I wanted to work for Marvel, especially when I was young, and, and then later at DC. Um, but, you know, working there for, for a long time, moving up through the ranks and then, you know, being given control over, you know, some of the bigger franchises in the industry, whether it was X-Men or Batman or Gardens of the Galaxy, all that kind of led towards uh, me realizing that I could expand my, my skill set beyond just editorial work and story work um, and 
branch out into other facets of the comic book industry, um, specifically that of, of building a company. I think that you know when I was running the X Men office or running the Batman office, without even really knowing it, I was kind of learning other tricks of the trade um, that would eventually lead me towards this desire of starting my own thing. Um, so working at both of those companies, there were important steps along the way and gave me important building blocks towards constructing something bigger in the future, which eventually kind of came together to be what's now Aftershock Comics. Um, and I, and I, I don't want to act like, you know, I've done all the Aftershock stuff on my own. You know, it, it really uh, required uh, the right timing and the right people, um, the right partners to work with, and and that's what I got when I joined AfterShock. I had you know the the timing of it and the the necessary knowledge and experience. More importantly, the the right type of people to work with. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, being part of like you know, uh, I, I hate the word indie sometimes, but I mean it's a, a smaller publisher uh, trying to like make a name to yourselves and kind of bring talent to to the table. What does that that kind of wooing process kind of look like? That Kind of going out and find, do you, you know kind of talk to people saying you know what have you got do you want to kind of publish it through us or kind of how does that that initial kind of stage happen obviously you have a, a large rolodex of people that you know uh, and have worked with throughout the years and you've got some amazing talent that's been coming over to aftershock how what's that initial conversation kind of look like about you know let's let's do something over here you know it varies uh, with each creator and and each project but you know going back to something you said a second ago um the Rolodex or the address book certainly had a, a very big part to do with uh, those initial conversations. Um, when we when we founded Aftershock, um, you know, the comic end of things, we were relying heavily on my name and my reputation and my experience, and then doubly, uh, you know, that of uh, Joe Pruitt, my partner, mm-hmm. um, and Joe and I. We knew each other for about 17 years, and we had always been friends. Uh, but we we both made comics, but we made very different comics. You know, I was working at the mainstream publishers, the big two, and doing a lot of the superhero stuff. And, and Joe was approaching things from the more independent mindset, and you know that indie vibe and the boutique vibe. And you know, he was winning Eisner's. So combined, you know, we we knew that we had a powerful address book when we combined you know, everyone that he knew and had worked with and everyone I knew and had worked with and you know some of those creators overlapped and then there was also people he'd never worked with and uh, also creators of his that I had never worked with um, so that, that kind of you know melding meshing of our address books was a, was a key part of it and then going out to people that we had worked with before in the industry mm-hmm. uh, was certainly one of the, the early things that we did. Um, and, you know, whether it was Garth Ennis or Paul Jenkins or Jimmy Palmiotti or Amanda Connor, uh, these were all people that we had either worked with for a long time or knew for a long time. And uh, that's kind of how we got things started initially. Mm-hmm. What's it like kind of working with these people who, again, you guys have previous relationships with, but also in a very different context before, and now you know, you're at your own publisher, and they can kind of do more or less what they want because they're not within the constraints of the prior companies that you guys had all worked with together? 
Yeah, it's it's different and it's similar at the same time. I mean, when I when I wake up and I get to my computer and I start making comics, uh, for lack of a better term, I, I still approach it the same way that I did when I was working for Marvel or DC. You know, the the mechanics of putting a comic together, or talking to creators, working with creators, and working with story and art. All of that is very much the same. Um, it, it's all it's all very similar to what I had done in the past. You know, the differences um, lie in the fact that, like you said, this is these are projects that the creators are bringing to us. These are their brainchilds, um, their babies that need to be born and then nurtured and grow. Um, and that that requires a little bit different type of TLC when it comes to working with the creators. Um, you know, I was very accustomed to working with properties that had been owned by companies for 75 years or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of my job, whether it was at Marvel or DC, um, had to do a lot with being the caretaker or the shepherd of that character, you know, realizing that, you know, Batman had been around for 80 years and I was lucky enough to work on it for eight years, but, uh, Batman would, you know, far outlive me and, and my comic experience and, and everything. And I had to make sure that Batman behaved the way that he should behave, uh, and you know, the way that he'd acted for his entire existence, that was a large part of my job back then. Um, now it's it's a little bit different. Now it's um, helping the creators to nurture these ideas and to have them be born. And you know they belong to the creators. They they don't belong to a big company. Um, so uh, you know that that part of the job is is quite different. Now this is this question is almost like having to make you choose one of your favorite children. But um, of the series that have kind of come out thus far, which ones are you kind of most proud of? How they kind of turned out, and or how they've been received by fans as well. Yeah, each one is a little different. Um, you know, I, I'm proud of a book like Insects, which I think to a lot of other publishers they would have seen it and realized that it was uh, a uh, a great story and a good concept, but you know maybe they would be a little shy about approving it and taking it on as a project. And you know, now we have twelve issues coming out, and our thirteenth issue comes out in a few months. Um, you know, for me, a, a book like Insects is something I'm, I'm very proud of. Um, also, looking at something like Rough Riders, the the reaction that we've received to that book and the way that that creative team works with one another, um, you know, every single page in all 12 or so issues that we've done has the same amount of quality in it. Um, so yeah, that's a project, um, that I'm extremely proud of. And, and then I think recent releases, um, you know, now that we've been doing it two years, we've, we've really refined our process. Um, of, of how to market things and how to interact with the retailers and the fans. And uh, I think that's um, um, been advantageous for us uh, with recent releases and things like Pestilence or mm-hmm. Baby Teeth or Unholy Grail, which came out last week. Um, it, you know, these are all books, great concepts. We really believed in them. But now, now that we really know how to run this, this business and interact with retailers and readers, um, 
you know, we're seeing that reflected in sales and, and, um, and really happy with the way they're performing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely think Animosity is also a fantastic book. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's almost like the easy one to say, yeah. uh, you know, Animosity it was, uh, was very much our, our first hit. Um, you know, we, we sold out of it before, you know, before that Wednesday was even done. <laughs> uh, we went back for five printings. It was hard to keep up with all the, the various printings that we did. You know, each time we reprinted, we're like, oh, this will be enough. And then we would go through all of our reorders even before Diamond got the books to the stores. And we're <laughs> like, all right, we have to go, we have to go back for another print. And, and uh, you know, there was a learning experience for us. But, uh, wow, what a great reaction to, you know, what we knew was a great concept. And, uh, you know, Animosity was one of those, you know, very few projects that you come along where when you hear it pitched, um, we instantly knew that we were going to accept it, and and uh, I think probably had the contract ready the next day. Oh wow! Now, uh, it, what I like about the output as well is that obviously there's there's very different types of books, and like it's not like you guys are kind of staying to one particular type of genre. You kind of do a lot of different things. I mean, you mentioned Rough Riders; that's a fantastic book. It's historical kind of fiction, um, and then you have a book like Animosity. You have a Shipwreck. Like all these books are so different from each other. Um, it's I guess. It's nice that you guys can kind of do all these different things and not get yourself pigeonholed into a type of style or a type of genre. Yeah, it's, um, you know, we we didn't really intentionally set out to have our whole catalog be varied the way that it is. Um, it, it was, you know, a little bit of selection and a little bit of just kind of coincidence. Um, uh, but... You know, now that we've been doing it for a while, um, we're we're happy that our library is, is so diverse and offers several different types of genres. We even feel like we've created a few <laughs> ourselves. Um, but it, it's nice that we can you know really point to our entire library and say, if you want a sci-fi book, we have a few. If you want horror, we have a few. If you want you know detective mystery, we've got one. If you want uh, something that feels like a superhero book, we've got that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you want wartime, you know we have a little bit of everything, and you know that's kind of uh, guided us in how we acquire new projects and the selection of new projects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we we we're trying to um, continue to be diverse in our offerings, and um, you know I think you'll notice or your readers have noticed too that. Um, you know, we are, we're not trying to throw too much out there. We're, we're trying to have a line that is easily digestible to any one retailer or any one reader. Um, you know, hoping that, um, a store could pick up our entire line of books and not feel crushed by it. Mm-hmm. Same thing with a reader. Um, True. you know, we, we, we put out nine, 10, 11 books a month and, you know, that seems to be our sweet spot right now. And I don't see us really expanding too aggressively beyond that for a while. Uh, cause we'd rather concentrate all of our energies on a few projects and make them as good as they can be rather than flood the market with endless titles and, and worry about, a lack of quality or mistakes happening or, or mm-hmm. something like that. 
Now, is that a conversation that's been had as well as about kind of um, developing more kind of ongoing series as opposed to series of miniseries, or is it just kind of what comes in with the creators that you're working with? It's what comes in with the creators that we're working with. You know, certain people come in, uh, you know, Garth Ennis with Dreamy Eagles. You know, he knew that was a six-issue series, and and that's it. Um, Same thing with John Lehman and Sam Keefe's Eleanor and the Egret. That was intended to be a five-issue series. Um, Other things we, you know, we, most other things I should say, um, you know, we have the intention of it being as ongoing as the market will allow. And, you know, so far we've seen success with books like Rough Riders and Black Eyed Kids and Insects, um, you know, where there's enough of an audience there and enough demand um, that we can continue with the books and have them go for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, Animosity and Baby Teeth, I'm sure, will be, you know, two other books like that. Um, and, and then, you know, there's a few titles which I, I feel that. You know, we, we launched early, and I think that if we had launched them at a later date, you know, now when we have such a strong relationship with the retailers and readers, I think they would have survived past that initial run. And I think that uh, we would have seen them continuing. A book like Replica, um, wow. such high high quality, still, you know, really one of my favorite books that we've done. Uh, the writing and the art were just, you know, just so good. When you um, talked about the the melding of genres, that's one of those books where it's like a detective slash crazy out there sci-fi at the same time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think, you know, Paul Jenkins as a writer is so good at that. He's so good at uh, kind of combining different genres and and making them work together. The same thing with Alters, you know, it's it's several different things in one package. Um, But I I feel like, you know, some of those early titles – not that they weren't really given a fair shot. Um, you know, we had to launch with something, but I do feel that if a few of those titles were launched today, uh, they'd experience a different type of success. Do you think we'll get more replica? I really hope so. You know, um, we we've talked with Paul several times about where the series could go beyond that. He has very specific ideas and, and I just have to say they're brilliant. Um, I, I do feel that we're going to see some more replica at some point. I'm not sure when that'll be or, or what kind of form it'll take, but I do feel we're going to see it again. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the normals recently launched by Adam Glass. What was that original kind of pitch like? Well, you know, uh, every San Diego Comic Con, we uh, we get a really solid pitch from from Adam. The first year that we met him, uh, it was Rough Riders, and then last year we got the Normals. Um, you know, the Normals was a very um, personal story to Adam. It's something that he, I think, had been working on um, you know for a very long time, um, and was really just finding. Yeah, I think waiting to find the right um, place to to launch it and we've had such a good relationship with him um that after rough riders did well we realized the the relationship was the creative relationship was great um he didn't want to bring it anywhere else he wanted to bring normals to us first and and we're so happy that we did so i gotta ask then with san diego coming up are you planning to see him to get another pitch we definitely have a meeting with Adam Set, so uh, you know maybe you're from now. We'll be talking about uh, that third Adam Glass series. Who knows? <laughs> I don't, I've talked to Adam before, and he's said that you know if Rough Riders Two kind of does well, he has more of these Rough Riders stories ready as well. So 
He sure does. Yes, he. Uh, <laughs> we, we've we've talked we've talked at length about uh, about where Rough Riders could go, and, and he has very specific ideas. Not only about a third arc, I believe he has ideas about a fourth arc too. So, mm. um, yeah, let's try to keep that book going. Now, how did you get him and um, Pat together as a team? I've talked to them both separately, but I'm curious from you, your standpoint, how did those two kind of come together as a team? Well, you know, Adam um, Adam was someone that I I never worked with directly at DC, but I worked with him indirectly. Um, he, uh, you know, he was writing Suicide Squad at the time, and, you know, because Suicide Squad had some Batman characters in it, a lot of times... I would get past his scripts for me to read for approval. And, you know, we kind of got to be friends and, and chummy that way. Um, you know, so we were, you know, we were comic acquaintances. Um, Pat, I had worked with several times in my career. I did, I edited uh, Spider-Girl back in the, the late 90s and right, 2000. Yeah. And then, um, and then I'm, I'm trying to think of some other things he did. For, I, I know he did some Catwoman stuff while I was the Bat, Batman group editor. Um, but, you know, Adam came with the concept, and then, uh, believe it or not, our first artist um, on Rough Riders was Zyman Kodransky, the guy who ended up doing uh, Black Eyed Kids for us. Oh. Um, yeah. And um, it, it was one of those things where, you know, you got to trust your instincts as an editor, and um, Zyman sent in some concept sketches, and, and you know, he he's a great artist to work with, and I've done tons of books with him. Um, but when he sent in the concept sketches, there was just a little something there that, um, w- there was something missing. And, um, you know, I figured out quickly, maybe Zyman isn't the right artist for this book. Um, and then just kind of, you know, coincidentally and, and nice timing, uh, I think Pat had reached out to me or I'd reached out to him and we got Pat set up with Rough Riders and that worked out great. And we were starting Black Eyed Kids with Joe Pruitt and I showed him Zyman's work and Joe said, this is the perfect person for my book. So everything kind of, you know, worked out nicely in that regard. For sure. Well, what's interesting about Patrick as well is that obviously he takes it very seriously, all the historical leanings of Rough Riders and really making it authentic. So it's it's interesting how that ended up being so perfect for both of those artists being on the right books. Yeah, it, it was it was really kind of serendipitous the way it all worked out, and uh, you know, it just it it it, uh, it goes back to I don't know, just how you approach things as an editor. Uh, sometimes you've got that gut feeling, and uh, and uh, you have to get wrong with it. Um, you know, sometimes in my career I haven't run with it, and, I, and I've kind of been sorry that I didn't, but uh, this time around I was happy I did. So I want to ask about, you know, kind of your history as an editor, is that what what are some of the experiences or the titles that you've worked on that you thought were uh, the ones that kind of shaped the editor you are today, whether it be negative or positive, just what about those experiences kind of created the editor you are today and how you operate? Well, uh, you know, on X-Men, um, I... I came. I was working on satellite X Men books for a while. Things like Bishop and Gambit and Deadpool and mm-hmm. Extreme X Men. Um, I did love that Bishop book. Oh yeah, that was a lot of fun. Joe Harris and George Gentry was so much fun. It was very different. Um, I think that's why it kind of stood out. Yeah, it was a fun kind of romp where when a lot of books weren't like that. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. It was uh, you know trying something new and, and it worked. Um, but you know. I, it, I, I was working on those books, and, and then eventually I became the main um, X-Men editor, 
and took on things like X-Men and New X-Men, Uncanny X-Men. Um, but, you know, I began working with Grant Morrison on that stuff, and I worked with Grant for a long time on those books, but, you know, it still wasn't something that I had initiated um, myself. And, you know, it was kind of, you know, long runs that I had inherited from the previous editor. And it wasn't really until, uh, you know, I started doing um, Astonishing X-Men with Joss Whedon and then Uncanny X-Men with Brubaker and X-Men with Mike Carey that I I really felt like, you know, these concepts and these books were, you know, completely my own and and creators that I put together. And, and, um, you know, I I think at that point I really felt like... um, you know, it was, it was kind of coming into my own, um, you know, probably shaped, um, you know, the type of better I am. And, you know, the, at, at that time, the the, uh, the X-Men group was expanding a little bit, and I got to take on some really good people on my staff. And, um, and then the same thing happened at DC, you know, working on the Batman books, uh, um, almost immediately, you know, I began trying to build a line, and I really took what Denny O'Neill had done as editor on the Batman books uh, in the 90s as a template uh, to work from. You know, Denny's books always felt like, you know, there was a family, a Batman family, there was a Batman universe. Um, everything kind of coexisted, but at the same time, all the books were kind of their own thing. And I always felt that really worked well um, as a group or as a family of titles. Uh, so I try to employ that that same philosophy, that that same way of doing things, when I became Batman editor, and um, you know whether it was uh, working with Grant Morrison or Paul Dini or Scott Snyder, uh, Andy Kubert, Tony Daniel, um, you know I really I think the kind of uh, consistency of creative, uh, you know the, the creative approach to the Batman books. Um, led towards uh, a very solid family of titles, which I, I think still exists to this day. What uh, what kind of combination of writer and artist are you kind of most proud of for kind of helping put the, put them together? That was kind of electric and kind of really fired most soldiers. Which which I mean, obviously you've been party to many of these, but which one do you kind of stands out as one of the ones that you're like, yep, that's the one. <laughs> um, man, that's a good question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that. But it's a great question. Um, you know, there's, I, I mean, you know, at, at Aftershock, I certainly enjoy the Paul Jenkins, Andy Clark combination on Replica. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, that's a, a perfect melding of creativity there. Um, Andy Clark's an artist who really deserves a lot more attention because the, the detail is incredible. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, I, on the Batman books, I loved pairing Chris Burnham with uh, Grant Morrison hmm. on Batman Incorporated and, and some of the other titles. Uh, I, th- I think that worked perfectly. Um, Scott Snyder and uh, Francesco Francavilla on the Black Mirror oh, yeah. um, story arc in Detective Comics was another one. Um, and you know, very early on, I think Judd Winnick and Mike McCone on the early issues of Exiles. Oh God, um, yes. Another, another good pairing where you know when I I still to this day when I think of that that team that that group of characters I think of the way that those two guys approached the book. What was it like working on that? That's always been like one of my favorite books, Exiles. What was it like kind of working on that? It was fantastic because you know this was it was a concept which. You know, my me and my assistant came up with together. 
I remember being nervous about presenting it to uh, the bosses at the time. Um, I think first we were pitching it to Bob Harris when he was still editor-in-chief. And, you know, Bob liked it, but I, I remember at one point um, it was not going to happen. Um, and then Joe Casada came on as editor-in-chief, and then it was up for review again. And I, I think that they were just going to improve it as like a five-issue limited series. And, yeah, I, I really fought for it and uh, really tried to convince them that this concept had legs and could, you know, run beyond five issues and could really just go on indefinitely. Um, you know, there's so much X-Men history that you could mine and, uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a, a fun what if book that could keep going. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, eventually we got that and, um, exiles, you know, it ran a long time and, um, you know, we'll never, you know, reaching the, the heights of uncanny X-Men or astonishing X-Men numbers, it was one of Marvel's most consistent sellers um, for the entire time that it was, it was going. Wow. That, no, I, well, I got to thank you then for putting that book together. Cause that I've always loved that book. And especially the first, I think 17 issues. Uh, I mean, I like most of the run, almost the entire run, but those first 17 issues are so solid. Yeah. Oh, thanks a lot. It, it was, it was a lot of fun and it, it was great working with Judd. You know, at that point in time, Judd hadn't really done much mainstream comic work. You know, he's, he was known for real world, and he had done uh, Barry Ween. And uh, my friend Chris Eliopoulos, you know, who's a letterer and is a, a big cartoonist now himself, um, he had worked with Judd, and, and he recommended to me, oh, you should check out Judd's writing. Um, and, um, and I remember reading Pedro and me, and... You know, just really under, knowing that this guy knew how to tell a story and really knew how to get um, how, how to write characters as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, coincidentally, he was a huge X Men fan, so that uh, <laughs> that kind of uh, worked out well. No, I have a, a question about those original Exiles issues, if you don't mind. I just I always sure. one thing that always struck me that I really liked about it was that you know in the first you know, 10, basically the first year, especially if you look at the trends that were starting to happen in the industry, um, at the time you had a lot of, you know, one issue or two issue stories. And then I think it was, it wasn't until like issue eight or nine where you actually had a three part kind of epic, but it actually felt that way because most of the stories were relatively self-contained only being one or two issues. Was that a conscious decision and what kind of drove that? Um, it was a conscious decision. And I think that, I think that what we wanted to do in the beginning was kind of prove ourselves with the constant or you know yeah prove ourselves to you know the readers and and to marvel too that this this book had legs and could continue uh, i think trying a multi-part story or some of those three or four issues that in the very beginning would have been risky um so i think showing that we could tell smaller stories and do it well in the beginning uh was necessary before we could kind of branch out and um you know, we had to make sure we had the audience first. Mm-hmm. And what made you decide that Mike McCone was the guy to, to start the book? Uh, yeah, Mike was someone that I'd known for a while. I always loved um, his clean style. Um, and there must have been some other reason, but I, I, I felt like maybe he had done something back then. Who knows? It could have been like a a pinup of blink or, or something <laughs> like that. But I, I think there were, there was something like that, 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 that made me think that Mike might be a good person. Hmm. 
Now, when, when you guys put together that book and you, you, you know, have Blink as kind of the... It's, it's kind of funny that we think of, like, Blink was this kind of runaway character from the Age of Apocalypse and takes, I guess, four or five years before she kind of gets uh, another kind of shot, and then she's the star of this Exiles book. Where, where did that come from, or where, who kind of pushed for her to be the kind of the, the centerpiece of this new team? Well, uh, it was a combination of a few things. I mean, I, I was an assistant editor at Marvel when Age of Apocalypse first came out, and I just, being an X-Men fan and just being there in the office and seeing that whole project take shape was was amazing and one of the most impressive things to me about that whole storyline was that you know not only were you taking familiar concepts and turning them over and, and doing something new with them but there was a few new creations in that series uh, one of which was blink um and I, I know everyone says you know she appeared for two panels and you know a regular issue about candy, but that doesn't really count. No. It didn't look. It didn't look like this blink. And but you know, she was a totally new concept, and not. But she wasn't a supporting character. She took center stage in Age of Apocalypse, and and to me that was that was fascinating. That's you know, after you know, Cable and Deadpool, you know, I think she was probably the next uh, you know new original hero from Marvel to to have legs and to to really be able to continue on as a mainstay um so i always felt there was potential with her as a character um beyond just doing another age of apocalypse story um and then at the same time we were talking about um we were talking about doing exiles there was a uh, a little blink miniseries that was coming out which i think maybe scott labdell wrote i'm trying to think and I know I worked with Trevor McCarthy on it and someone else. Um, it was something that Mark Powers had been editing, and then I, I think I inherited the last issue or two. And it was doing pretty well sales-wise, and, and that kind of you know helped us in thinking that we could do something with, with Blink. And um, I think we even kind of retrofitted a... Uh, for Exiles number one in the very last issue of Blink, I think maybe issue four or five. Absolutely, um, I remember that. And that, that yeah, that wasn't there uh, originally. Um, that uh, that was something that we squeezed in at the last second because we knew um, that the Exiles project had been approved. Hmm. That's so fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you, you're asking some really good questions. I've never really. Uh, talked about some of these things before so it's, it's kind of fun to think back to these these old projects well speaking of old projects i um i would uh, looking at the many things you've worked on throughout the years i'd be remiss if i didn't ask about what the process was working on universe x oh universe x that was yeah, that was fantastic um you know the you know the the first the first series earth x was edited by my friend marie javens and she was she was thinking about going off staff at Marvel, so um, we we knew that she wasn't going to be able to carry on with the sequel. And uh, Bob Harris uh, knew that you know my workload. I, I think I had room for like one extra book, and he came to me and talked to me. And um, I'd known Jim Kruger, and I knew Alex Ross a little bit too, and. Um, yeah, I, I just kind of you know took over when Universe X started, and then that became a whole four-year journey uh, between that 
and uh, Paradise X. It was uh, great to work on. A lot of fun. They're they're really interesting books and very uh, very heady, but like big concepts. And I, I wish that uh, Marvel would kind of bring those back out more often because they're they're still very good reads. I mean, they're obviously of the era, and uh, some continuity has moved on from where they were at that point. But they're just they're really fun, enjoyable books, and really took characters like Marvel and, and Cap to, to whole new areas. Yeah, they're they're great concepts. You know, I think the the Marvel plan has altered a little bit since then. I, you know, a lot of what Marvel does now is very centered around the big event, um, and it becomes when, when you're concentrating your energies and, and your money uh, around so many of those type of events, it becomes a little difficult to take something like Universe X or Earth X on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, we're going to wrap up in a, in a moment or two, but I also have to ask, you were working on the Wolverine title during one of my favorite runs, which was uh, Frank Thierry and uh, Sean Chen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was great. Um, now, did you, you know, inherit Frank, that book, or did you actually put together I, the team? I inherited, I inherited one. Uh, there was one issue, on, I think, on that run that was done before me. Okay. Uh, I, can't, I can't take credit for hiring Frank. Um and I'm sure he'd be happy to hear that. Um, <laughs> Frank and I have been very close friends for since then, so 18 years. Um, yeah, Mark Powers had hired Frank, or maybe Bob Harris had, and um, I, th- I think maybe I hired Sean Chen for the book, but it could have been Mark. But in any event, that that run was was amazing because. Uh, you know, what they wanted at the time was a fresh voice. Frank, you know, hadn't done much writing, co-written some stuff with Joe Casada, um, but he was just full of ideas. And, you know, he was still working on staff at Marvel at the time. So, you know, he'd come up at lunch or after hours and we would just talk about ideas and it was just great brainstorming with him. Um, and, uh, I, I still look back at those issues very fondly. It was a lot of fun. Well, it's a, it's a fantastic run. I mean, he added some great characters to the Wolverine kind of uh, line. You had Mr. X, who's always going to be one of my favorite villains. Right. Uh, yep. Very solid. Movey. Many... Pardon me? Movey. Yes, absolutely. And plus, yeah. <laughs> that, that whole run also had the uh, Return of Weapon X storyline, which I still love. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, it was great. Uh, great having Barry Windsor Smith work on those issues. Hmm. When you, when you guys did that kind of run, did you did, like was there already an inkling at that time that you would end up having a, a an offshoot Weapon X book? Uh, not at the beginning, but certainly when we got into that run, which I, I think was maybe around issue one seventy five or mm-hmm. one seventy one sixty six, something like that. Um, yeah, uh, when, when that started happening, we started creating all these other great characters, or I, I guess bringing other characters into the forefront um you know we thought that maybe a weapon x uh series could have legs and uh and uh you know it turns out we were right <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um now just before we sign off what can you kind of tease some of the big new releases coming out from uh, aftershock in the next few months i know that there's some new launches coming out in the next few months right yeah um so dark arc comes out in september it's our second book by colin bunn this is another one of those projects where when we heard the pitch, it was an instant uh, acquisition. <laughs> uh, we just, we knew it was great. And you know, everyone that's heard about the book since then has said, why didn't I think of that? It's such a great idea. Um, so we're really excited about that. And Wando was on the artwork. Um, and Wando's been such an important part of the creative family at Aftershock since we started. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
And then in September, we also have uh, Fujitsu, which is uh, written by Jai Nitz, who created El Diablo and has written Suicide Squad for DC. Uh, I've known Jai for a long time. This is the first time we're kind of getting together and telling stories together. And um, it's about the, uh, the world's smartest boy who also happens to be over 100 years old. Oh. <laughs> and uh, it's full of action, adventure, uh, over-the-top humor. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun, and we have great artwork from Wesley St. Clair, um, who was a Kubert School graduate that I met a few years ago, oh. who's, turned, who's turned into a fantastic artist. Wow. That, now, what is that kind of like being able to kind of bring on these, you know, the younger, newer talents and pair them with these, you know, these other great writers and, again, nurture that relationship? It, it's great because, uh, you know, you know you're taking a risk sometimes, but you can really tell when you look at the artwork. And, you know, I think Rafael de la Torre, our animosity artist, is the perfect example of that. Mm. Um, you know, we saw his work. He didn't have many credits in his resume but we said all right he's going to be good for super zero and then he did such a great job at super zero that uh he did such a good job drawing uh the little pets in super zero that we thought he'd be good at drawing animals and animosity so uh it's always great when you take a chance on an artist and then see them become something bigger absolutely well, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk with us. Hopefully we can have you back in the future to talk more about Aftershock and also to go down memory lane a little bit more. I would love to. Let's do it again sometime soon. I'd love to. Excellent. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks a lot.